Giannis. Time winding down. Antetokounmpo on the fade. It's good at the buzzer. The Milwaukee Bucks stun the Knicks on the last second game winner by Giannis Antetokounmpo. What's up, what's up, everybody? Uh, as always, it's your boy, Jacoops, here at episode 47 of the Bucks Leading Radio. And I'm joined by a first-time guest, but I'm guessing it's not going to be the last time, Brian Sampson from the Bucks Film Room. How are you doing tonight, man? Good. I'm excited to be on here. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah, man. Of course. I'm glad I was able to get you on here. It was one of the things I'd been kind of thinking about uh, since seeing your awesome content actually get published on Twitter. Um, it's really interesting seeing a lot of the things you're bringing up uh, in your films and in your video editing. Because it's stuff that, like, outside of people that work in basketball and are actually looking and, like, NBA scouts, I think, really focus on. You know, before we really jump in anything, I really do kind of want to hear some of that background. You know, if you could give me and some of the listeners, we talked a bit before we started recording here, um, just your background, how you got into it, um, you know, what makes you qualified to even be talking about it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, some other stuff like that. So I would just love to, love to get a little background. Yeah, so I guess I don't really have very many qualifications. I, I just kind of make this stuff up as I go. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I've written for a couple of different sites. Like I wrote for B-Ball Breakdown for a while um, before they kind of, I, I don't know if collapsed is the right word, but before they kind of went under whatever. Um, I know Nick Coach Nick is still doing his stuff, but they had a, a site of writers that were – doing stuff as well. So I wrote for them for a while. I wrote, I wrote for, I wrote for NBA math. Um, some of the guys from Bleacher Report, they started NBA math and they had a couple of cohorts of guys that they brought in and kind of took under their wings. Um, so I wrote for them, I don't know, two summers ago, I think it was. Um, and so I've just kind of been around the NBA game, grew up playing basketball. I feel like I have a pretty decent understanding. I think it's a lot better for fans to, be able to have a deeper understanding of the game. And so that's what I try to bring to the table is not necessarily all of like the X's and O's stuff, but just some of that more basic stuff that we see in every single game, but maybe don't recognize unless we have that trained eye. And so for me, you know, that's a lot of fun just taking that time. And I know that's something that, especially like this day and age fans want a lot more of is like the video content, like right away, like in your face, like this is what's going on, like show me instead of telling me. and. So that's what I try to bring and just trying to stay on that cutting edge and keep fans, you know, keep readers interacting with my content. And that's what I strive for. No, and, and honestly, as somebody who follows you and has been keeping up on your videos, it, it's really awesome. Um, I'm writing for a website now. I've done it in the past. I've had this podcast and I'm going on two seasons. And I think that it's, it's a pursuit um, from, I think, guys like you and I to always, one, get better. So like watching other people's content, understanding what you're doing, and I'm learning from yours too, and I'm seeing things that I don't normally see, which is awesome. Um, but not only that, I'm entertained by it too because you're kind of watching things, and if you really enjoy basketball, um, it's good to watch. And I never played basketball in any really organized sense out of intramurals back in college, so it, it's showing me a different side of things. Um, I probably lost half my audience by saying that because now they think I don't know what I'm talking about, but I've made that clear since day one. 
No, I, hey, I made it clear that I don't know anything I'm talking about. Usually the people I bring on know what they're talking about. So <laughs> I'm more just they laugh at me, I feel like. But uh, no, it, it's great. So um, that was a great background. I appreciate you going into that a little bit. So I guess let's just jump in. It's been an up and down week, I think, for Bucks fans since we lost to Toronto on Saturday. A bit of a disappointing game uh, at home. And then we got the win uh, last night against Utah. But let's start in the forum. Saturday evening, Canada's in town. They brought their maple leaves with them, and we ended up losing. So I'm not even going to set you in a direction. I just want you to talk about you know, what contributed to this loss, what happened, and what were your thoughts on the game overall, and then we can dive into specifics after that. Yeah, so I think overall, like, Toronto's a very good team, right? And even though they didn't have Kyle Lowry, they still have a lot of players, and that's something, like, right off the bat that I just want to recognize is that that's not a bad loss, even though it's at home. And it, the Bucks, even though they only had a what, the starters played like 20 minutes in that first game on Friday night coming into the back-to-back, that's still not a bad loss. So I think that's one thing to, you know, really focus on. As fans, we tend to get really high and really low from game to game or from player to player. And so just trying to keep it even keel, like that's for me my biggest takeaway is they lost to a really good team. They battled hard. The Bucks didn't have their best stuff. The Raptors, they hit some really tough shots. And, you know, that's going to happen in a – in the playoffs and the regular season, like that's going to happen all the time and not all the time, but that's going to, there are going to be games like that. And so that's my biggest takeaway is just to stay even keel. Don't overreact. Don't underreact. The bucks are still a very good team. And I think that was made clear. One thing that the Raptors will, you know, prove to be troublesome for the bucks in as far as their mid range shooting, um, Kyle Lowry, he can stretch it out to the three point line. But I think when you look at Serge Ibaka, when you look at Kawhi Leonard, like they they like those mid-range, and that's what the Bucks wants to force their opponents into is taking those mid-range shots. So I think that will be an interesting matchup because it's a team who has no problem taking those shots that the Bucks are allowing. And contrary to popular belief, mid-range, they can still be a good shot in today's NBA if you're having a good mid-range shooter take it and if it's in the right situation, you know? And so... I know Bud, he likes the threes or layups, and a lot of teams are adapting that, but mid-rangers, they aren't the devil. You know, you can still take them if it's there, and in today's NBA with the players and the athletes and the systems, you can't take away everything, and Bud, you know, he's he wants to prevent shots at the rim, and that makes sense, and so he's got to then give up something, and so that mid-range game, that'll be interesting to see if they meet in the playoffs, how that plays out, because... The Raptors, they'll probably get hot for at least two games, but can they get hot for three or four games? That'll be something to keep an eye on. So I think that's my biggest takeaway is just, you know, it's a it's a fine loss. Obviously, you're not happy about any loss, especially with this Bucks team. It's not like a moral victory or anything like that, but it, it is what it is. The Bucks will be fine. They recover. They beat a good Utah Jazz team two nights later, and so, yeah, that's my takeaway from their game on Saturday night against the Raptors. No, I think that's it's a great overall takeaway and honestly a good observation regarding their mid-range game, but also how that can be a weakness in Coach Bud's defense, which is allowing a lot of teams to have that shot. Um, you've seen some teams, I think, get hot in that past, and then we overcompensate, I feel like, regarding um, you know guarding that too much, and then they hit threes on top of us because we're more focused on the mid-range. Um, I think the, what comes to mind is the game against the Clippers, um, but... 
that's interesting. And one point um, I want to make to kind of counterbalance your point regarding if we meet them in the playoffs, uh, you know, looking at this box score here, it's a little lopsided from the Raptors' perspective regarding a minute. And I threw up this tweet that, you know, got playing guys 35-plus minutes, your starters, uh, in a game isn't necessarily what you're looking for heading into a seven-game series because the only way they could really hold that lead is by playing their starters. So do you see that as a problem going forward? Uh, I understand they were out, Kyle Lowry and Jonas Valanciunas, but is this something that you think could really hurt the Raptors going forward and potentially help the Bucks in a playoff series? As far as playing their starters too many minutes mm-hmm. in the playoff series? Yeah. I, th- I think the playoffs are made to play your starters heavy minutes because you're not going to have back-to-back. At, at worst, you'll have one day rest. And so, yeah, so I think that's something that, like, maybe if you get to game seven, that plays into their hands. But I think that overall, like, the way that the playoff schedule is figured out or is set up, that teams are fine. Like, you'll see Giannis probably playing 38 ish minutes would be my guess in the playoffs on a nightly basis just because what do you have to save him for at that point he's in the like best shape of his life prime of his career so that's what i would say is that at this point maybe in the regular season because they still what have three three and a half months left so if you're playing your starters 35 plus minutes every single night for the next three and a half months that might become an issue but as far as in the playoffs i think that's probably about to be expected and you'll see that for most teams playing their starters at least they're good starters that many minutes. See, this is, see listeners, this is why I bring people on because I just talk a bunch of nonsense and then I get corrected by the experts I bring on. No, that's a good point. Um, and it's something I guess I really didn't think about. I think I was just looking for any straws to grasp after that loss to say like, oh, the Bucks are still better. You guys still had to play your starters 40 minutes a game and you, we couldn't, you couldn't even beat our bench. Um, no, but I think that's, that's a solid point looking at it from a playoff perspective. And looking at the regular season, it's obviously not ideal. Um, we'll say update, though. Currently tonight in the NBA, Raptors down one to the Atlanta Hawks with 17 seconds left. So sucks to them if they lose seconds it. seconds left in the game? Yeah. Dang. 101-102. I was kind of keeping an eye on it. Old ESPN ticker here. Um, up, ended Toronto up 104-101. Okay, so there you go. They, they ended up getting the victory, but... So, and just for some context, so Giannis, he played 40 and a half minutes per game in their six, in the playoffs two years ago when they played the Raptors, and then he played 40 minutes a game last year against the Celtics. And so I know that there's a lot of criticism for Kidd and then Prunty playing their starters heavy minutes, but I think like that's not, he might not see 40 again, but I think he'll be right up there like at that 38 mark. Oh, good point. And Way to back it up with some evidence there. Um, no, that's solid, and I think that that's a good way to way, way to look at that. Uh, question for you again in this Raptors game: DJ Wilson goes out injured, um, a player who has obviously had a great year compared to anybody. Standards a lot of people wrote him off as a wasted draft pick again. Um, so, do you think that this game? I'm not saying if he plays, we win, right? But I'm saying, do you think that with his defensive play? He makes a difference in this game, and this game isn't just won by seven points. It's won by two, uh, or potentially the Bucks winning. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely wouldn't have hurt them. Um, he's been playing really well. Probably, I'm trying to think, was it that first Piston game a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago? More than that, a few weeks ago. So I think that 
with DJ Wilson, for some reason, people are already trying to like anoint him as <laughs> I saw on Twitter. No tech Ben, I think is his handle is trying to anoint him as like the third or fourth or second or fifth, somewhere in there, like best, their most important, not best, most important player, like in a playoff series. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for that, but not necessarily a quality argument. And this is where it comes back to like not getting too high or too low. Like, he hasn't even been doing this for a month. And by this, I mean playing solid defense, grabbing some rebounds, knocking down just enough three-pointers to make himself somewhat of a threat. And so I think that he definitely would have hurt, especially with the way that he's playing right now. And so probably would have been a closer game, especially since Siakam, you know, he went off for 30-plus points, uh, or 30 points. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, I think it would have could have been a closer game. I think there's a case to be made. Um, but then again, who knows? I think he does fit nicely against Siakam and Ibaka. So, yeah, probably. No, and that's what I've seen uh, from him on a more consistent level, which is because obviously he replaces Giannis when he gets subbed in, and I think he really fills that defensive hole that can get left when Giannis is gone. Um, he has pretty good length. He has really good length for his size. He's gotten bigger. He's really holding down. He's had tough matchups, as we kind of discussed, you know, Blake Griffin, um, a couple others that are blanking my mind right now. But overall, I think he would have helped out a lot as well. But DJ does go out, and we don't have him. So that's what happened in this game. But I did not play Coach's decision, which kind of surprised me, even though I have my own opinions about him. But that was Thon Maker. And we'll get into his play last night against Utah here in, in a little bit later on in this podcast. But I want to know your thoughts. You know, if you're Bud, are you maybe putting in the maker over Ursan, who was having a rough night, didn't seem to be making that much of an impact? Are you at least giving him a few minutes to see what he can do out there? Or do you think it was the right play not playing him? Yeah, I guess I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I think that Bud had his reasons for not playing him. Um, and maybe I'm not, I can't share, like, I don't know what those were off the cuffs, but like, he's a smart basketball mind. He's made 99, 95% of the right calls so far this season. And so I guess I'm just not quite ready to jump on, like questioning every single move that he's making yet. Um, I was definitely there with Jason Kidd for sure. But with, with Budenholzer, like, I think that he's earned that benefit of the doubt. And some people might call him stubborn, which sure, like maybe you can go with, um, but I think that he just wanted to see, too, Ursan, he's he's a vet. Even though he's struggling, he just is coming back from injury. Like, they're going to need him at some point in this season. Like, Ursan, if all goes well, if he finds his groove, he'll win them probably two or three games. Maybe that's on the high side. Maybe one or two games this year. And they're going to need him in the playoffs. He can play some of that small ball five. He can get defensive rebounds, which Thon sometimes struggles with. He can knock out down outside shots, which Thon sometimes struggles with. So, Maybe that was more just a case of Bud trying to get Ursan going and show him that he's got that confidence in him. Um, and then just wrapping around, because I don't want to make it sound like I was throwing No Tech Ben under the bus. <laughs> I think he's a very smart basketball mind, and I respect that. I just wanted to show up or put out there that I just disagreed with that take, which is okay. I think it's okay for us to agree to disagree, but I just wanted to kind of wrap back around so I didn't seem like I was throwing him under the bus. Brian, that's not how Twitter works. You're either with them or you're against them. That's what I, I know, found I out. I know, That's why I want to, like, we can coexist. We can coexist. We can have different takes and not have to block each other or call each other names, whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I mean, him and I, I, I him and I've gotten into it a couple times on Twitter. Uh, really good guy though, and he is smart. Um, I think he's getting on the DJ train because he was so hard on uh, being against him. So uh, it has been good to see DJ play well. He got a couple of votes from me for the All Star game. Shout out DJ Wilson. <laughs> um, so you know, staying on the thought maker train, um, let's do it. Take him in the take him into last night against the Jazz. Makes a really big impact. Drops 15 points on six from eight from the field. Grabbed five boards and had one pretty big putback there in the game. Um, overall, give me your thoughts on the Jazz game. Thon played well, obviously. It was a solid win by the Bucks. And, uh, yeah, just talk about it. Um, let me know what you think, and then I have a couple of questions here for you. So the biggest thing that comes to my mind was the Rudy Gobert versus Giannis matchup. And quick shameless plug is I so I broke that down on Brew Hoop, uh, a site that I write for is took a couple of clips and broke it down like what that meant because that's something that I don't think we've really seen is a, a true center playing on Giannis and well I don't know if playing him is the correct word you Gobert is way deep like we've seen defenders sink off Giannis in the past but Gobert was even below that like he had he would line up with both feet below the free throw line just sitting in the lane and that really affected it, and I think so. The Bucks play the Rockets on Wednesday night, and my guess would be that the Rockets are going to try that same strategy with Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. Capella is not nearly the defender that Gobert is. Capella is like six ten, I think, and so he doesn't have the arm length either. He's still a very good defender in his own right, but I think that we'll see the Rockets trying that um, because even though Giannis got thirty points on Gobert. It took him 30 shots to do it, and you could argue, you can always argue in every single Bucks game that Giannis should have gone to the line like 20 more times. I mean, he had six free throws and 30 field goal attempts, which is kind of ridiculous. And Budenholzer made a comment after the game that he wishes Giannis would go to the line more, which Budenholzer is going to be smart about this, right? He's going to play the long game, kind of do this gamey stuff like in the media like that, where he's not getting fined, just kind of talking about his team, and he'll get there. So... I guess, like, that was my biggest takeaway is Giannis and Gobert going at it. They each won a couple of matchups, but that was a that was a tough takeaway. And the Jazz, they shot the lights out for three quarters, and they just were – Donovan Mitchell was on fire. They were smoking it, and the Bucks were right there with them. The Bucks took the Jazz best punch, and I think we're down by three points going into the fourth. But I think – what separates the Bucks this year is they can do that for all four quarters. They can keep scoring 30 points a quarter all four quarters, but can the other team do that? They may be able to keep up with them for two or even three quarters, but they, can they do that for four? And that's what we saw with the Jazz last night is they lost steam in that fourth quarter and the Bucks kept scoring and the Jazz couldn't keep up at that same pace. Um, and so I think that's something that's really special. It's The Bucks don't do it quite at this level, but the Warriors, like, year ago two years ago in their prime of their height of their or in the height of their powers they would do that to teams as they would drop 30 35 points a quarter sometimes teams would stick with them like you'd see the bucks going to half like down one or up one and then warriors would just come out and blow them out and so on a smaller scale the bucks do that to teams this year so those were my two biggest takeaways from the bucks jazz game on monday night i think those are all really good takeaways uh honestly kind of right in line with a couple of things I wrote down but my thoughts were that it seemed to me like the Bucks honestly just stayed their course they played their game they didn't try to 
really. I think it was more the Jazz trying to match them. I mean, the Jazz shot more threes than us, which doesn't happen too often in a game um, against the Bucks. You know, the Bucks are usually the ones ch- chucking them up. So I felt like we really stayed the course. We didn't let the game get ahead of us, and we kind of just pushed through, even though we were down heading into the fourth quarter, which is kind of showing how this team is growing and also how they hate losing, I think, because they – haven't lost on a back-to-back 11 or on a, uh, haven't lost after a loss um, they're 11 and0 after losing a game and it's been awesome to watch uh, one thing I did have noted down you know Donovan Mitchell really struggled there in that in that fourth quarter um, he had seven total turnovers a lot of them coming in that last quarter there and and it's tough to see from a guy like him I think that he could have played well and who knows how this game ends but uh, overall I'm happy hey the bucks covered the spread so that was good. Follow my Twitter for more uh, for more locks. I got one tonight that's about to start tip-off here in a half hour. Uh, Charlotte plus six and a half. We'll see if that holds up when this gets posted tomorrow. Um, <laughs> we can get into that in a minute. But overall, no, I think that's really what I saw, and I thought it was a solid win. I think, I think it was definitely good to get that momentum going, especially because we're going to head on to a road-heavy stretch of the schedule here, um, as you alluded to, going to Houston on Wednesday night. Uh, so... Those are kind of the things I had. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, watching a lot of film, you see a lot of Thon Maker. We've seen flashes of it in whether it's a playoff series, he's kind of the X Factor, or he'll have a couple games like he just did against the Jazz. Um, but he's played fairly solid this year. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of him. I still think there are better options. But is Thon Maker going to go up from here, or was this just a flash? Is this the start of something? He said it's his time now. He's going to make it. But what do you think? I think Thon Maker talks the talk. You know, he has all these great quotes. Like, what was his one? Like, he walked into the church and it said, your destiny starts now. Or something, something like that, yeah. He's like, oh, that applies to me. And on paper, um, like, I think it was Kane Pittman who had tweeted that out or something. Like, that looks great. It gets you amped up. It's like, oh, it's his time. He's ready. Let's go. And like gets you amped up like he's about to live up to the billing of being that 10th overall pick but in reality is like we've seen this from him before right like we've seen him do it in the playoffs we've seen him do it here and there in the regular season what we need to see and i'm going to steal a line from mike mccarthy is oh he's got to stack successes right he's got to do this and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again and build it from there and so that's one thing it's like I talked about, I think at the beginning or top of the show is like not getting too high, not getting too low, like slowly letting your meter turn on a player one way or the other, not letting one game completely sway you. Like he has this potential to be a contributor. I think like when he was first drafted, best case scenario was like, Oh, he's going to be the next Giannis. But I think realistically, like his most likely outcome is as a role player or best case, like a sixth man or seventh man, something like that. And so I think that's okay for what this Bucks team needs. So I just want to see it. Like, we'll see if he gets some playing time in Houston. I'm assuming he will, and we'll just see it go from there. And that's really like, I'm not going to overreact or underreact. Just we'll take a one game at a time and see, see how he comes out of it. That's a good answer. And honestly, probably one of the better ones I've heard, um, I'm glad you brought Kane up. He was my guest uh, on my last episode, and we talked about this because I presented the question of why isn't Christian Wood getting minutes? The hashtag Free Wood movement is big on Twitter. 
Come on, bud. Um, but, you know, he presented a lot of arguments about how Wood wouldn't provide that much more than Thon does in Thon's limited minutes. Um, you know, Thon does what he's told to by Bud, which is sit in the corner, grab rebounds when he can, and do, you know, a little bit extra here and there. Um, amp up the crowd. Amp up the crowd, get him going, get to standing O after a 15-point game. Uh, it just shows how much they want him to be good. But, you know, on that same vein, asking somebody not from Australia – what do you think about Christian Wood? Do you think he would make a bigger impact than Thon? We haven't seen him in the NBA a lot. He's putting up numbers in the G League. I am the first person to say that doesn't necessarily mean everything. But, you know, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Would it be a good time to do it middle of the season, heading to the All-Star break? Or do you think it's ride with what we got until the end? So I take very little stock into what he does in the G League. And not because it's the G League. I think the G League is great. But because his responsibilities with the Bucks are completely different. They're 180 degree turn. In the G League, he's the go-to man. He's a volume scorer. The offense runs through him. That would not be his role at all. And if he were to try to do some of those same things, same things with Milwaukee, like he would get pulled real quick because the offense runs through Giannis, Middleton, Brogdon. And so I think it's hard to evaluate because he's used to being that man in the G League, and that's not his fault. Like, what is he supposed to do? Just sit back and be passive? Like, he goes and does his thing. So it's just hard to say like how he would fit in in the Bucks. The, he has a decent outside shot, which is probably like one of the biggest uh, qualities that Budenholzer looks for in his big men. But Maker, Thon's making just enough shots to become a threat. They're not going to pull Ursan, even though Ursan is playing probably the worst basketball of his career. And DJ Wilson, like we talked about earlier, is coming along. So... I think that there's a reason he hasn't seen the floor yet because Budenholzer has basically played everybody else. Like, you look at the guard or the wing rotation, like, everybody has gotten a chance. Like, DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, now we're on to Sterling Brown. Like, everybody has gotten their chance there. And so everybody in the roster besides Christian Wood, which I'm sure Budenholzer doesn't have a personal vendetta against him, so there's got to be a basketball-related reason as to why he has not yet got that chance. And so... I think, again, that just comes back to that trust. Budenholzer hasn't given us a reason not to trust him, and so just got to see. He sees him every day in practice. Him and his coaching staff are always evaluating. Like, if they thought he provided that spark at power forward, then you got to know that they would put him in and give him that chance. Yeah. Uh, You sold me. All right. Kane said something along the lines very similar up to that, and I kind of felt like he was just staying on the side of his – his Australian friend Thon Maker. So we got <laughs> we got a third party. <laughs> he does. No, Kane's awesome. I'm just messing with him. I actually just saw him today. Um, but no, that's fair. And I and I don't for all the listeners out there, I apologize if that was a little rehashy from the last episode. But I think it's something that a lot of people are talking about on Twitter. It's something that continually gets continually brought up every time there's a G League game and Christian Wood throws down. So that's why it might keep popping up uh, every once in a while. I do have another topic I want to jump onto here quick, and this is a, a reoccurring topic on this podcast, and I feel like in every Bucks mind, and that's Chris Middleton and his shooting woes, his offensive slump, whatever you want to call it. I think he's getting out of it, though. Um, but this comes back to your thoughts earlier on the mid-range shot, which is, I would argue, Chris Middleton's bread and butter. Now, I feel like in recent games, the past couple of weeks, by that I mean, 
You've seen Chris take a few more than he had earlier in the season, and I feel like that's what's starting to help him get out of this slump. He's starting to feel more comfortable on the floor, and I feel like Bud is letting him do that. Um, would you agree with that? Is that what you're seeing, or am I just some idiot who just likes Bucks basketball? No, I think you're right on. He's definitely been taking more mid-range jump shots. And I don't have like the specific data or the evidence that's in front of me, but just from my eye, like I would agree 100% with you. And I think you know, Budenholzer is willing to work with him. He knows that he wants threes. He knows that he wants layups, but he also is recognizing that, hey, this is one of the better mid-range shooters in the entire NBA, so am I really going to completely take him out of his element all season, or will this help provide a spark? And we've seen a couple of better games from Middleton. He still struggles um, more than we would like, especially considering he's probably in line for max money next year. Um, so I think that's... I think that's what it comes down to, too, is like if he was just getting paid $10 million a year, he would be fine. But all fans know that here's this massive contract in line, and so their expectation rise exponentially. I think that's kind of the same thing with Thon Maker and DJ Wilson. People have very low expectations for DJ Wilson, so when he raises the bar even a little bit, fans are excited. Thon Maker, expectations were through the roof, so when he doesn't meet those, then fans are pissed off. So I think that's kind of the same thing, but I, you know... As far as your question, yeah, he's shooting more mid-rangers than he was at the beginning of the season. And do you think that, and you kind of said it already, but that's kind of Bud working with him to kind of get his game right to kind of make him more of a focal point in that offense? Or do you think that's kind of Chris just being Chris out there? I wouldn't say more of a focal point because I think he's always been a focal point. Fair enough, yeah. I think it's working with him to get to the spots in the floor he's comfortable with because you can't, like, you can't expect every single player to change overnight just because a new coach came in. Like, the good systems, the good teams, they've had their systems in place for a couple of years or for years, and so the players have been able to adapt and build their game around it. And so there's steps to the process. And so this could just be a step where, hey, like, we got you in the habit right away to shoot threes. We're still going to encourage you to do that, but here we'll give you a little bit more freedom to shoot mid-rangers as well since that's your bread and butter. Like, if we were talking about... Tony Snell starting to shoot these same shots, like that would be a whole different conversation. But I think Budenholzer is trying to show Middleton, like, hey, I'm willing to be flexible with you because I know that you are money from those locations on the floor. No, that's a great talk, and that's exactly what I thought too. Uh, and that's why I think I've come around to Middleton staying. I was heavy on the trade market when that was kind of the first, when that first kind of came about. Um, obviously now with, our success, I don't think a trade is is right for the team, um, but that's we have. I've discussed that last episode, and don't want to get too into it again. I do have a question for you, a guy who studies a lot of film, who has seen this team under Jason Kidd, under Joe Prunty, and now under Coach Budenholzer. And I'm curious if, as we're watching this team develop and really get this full system implemented, we're not even halfway through this season yet. So I'm curious if, from the first game of the season till now obviously this team has grown and you've seen the development of a system take place but how much have you seen that change and then maybe if you want to dive into a couple of the things that you have seen change since day one to now um that have really kind of grown and maybe are more of the more some of the more important things in your eyes yeah so offensively i think you know the bucks do a lot of They've made small changes throughout the season offensively as far as their sets go, right? Because So they have a lot of different op- 
options that Bud will call out from his sideline. So as a player bringing the ball up, Bud will yell like strong or weak or, you know, five out. He'll, he has a couple of different things, a couple. He has a lot of different things that he yells out. And depending on what he yells, that dictates the kind of the type of offense that the Bucks run. And so you, I've seen a little bit of progression there going from right away, like the Bucks were able to score in their first or second options in some of these sets. But now they're having to work through the whole progression. And defenses know what's coming. So this is where then Budenholzer um, will adjust to the defense's adjustments, right? So like one play that you'll see a lot is a guard bringing the ball up the floor on the wing. He's the only he's the only uh, player on the one side of the floor. And somebody will go set like a cross screen on the block for Giannis. And then they'll try to get a post up to Giannis. And that guard will run off a double screen on the weak side. Um, and so that's a play that if you watch the Bucks, you'll see them run probably five, six times at least every single game. And so that started there. Now defenses have adjusted. So now the guy, instead of posting up on the block, he'll go to set a ball screen, and then he'll post up if they switch, or he'll post up off that. And so you get the same result. You just need to add in another action in there. And so that will continue to evolve, and the Bucks will continue to adjust to how defenses defend them because that's on tape. If some amateur like I am well aware of that play and I could run that play in my sleep, you know damn well that every single player on the court knows, like for the defense, knows that's coming and knows how to defend it. And so they'll continue to adjust to that. And they have reads and they have options. So it's not just like a, this is what you do. It's if the defense is playing you one way, this is what you do. But if they're playing you a different way, then you do this instead. And so that way it keeps it less predictable and keeps the offense flowing and keeps the you know, the chances to score higher when it's not so predictable and prescribed. So I think defensively too, that's a topic, right? Is how are the Bucks going to defend in the playoffs? Fans think that Budenholzer has some great defense that he has yet to unleash that he's only saving for the playoffs. Like we've seen that a little bit with Popovich and the Spurs in the past. And so fans kind of think like that's what's going to happen is they're not switching because he's saving that solely for the playoffs. And I'm not completely sold on that. I think it's how are you supposed to go? How are you supposed to play 82 games one way and then quick switch all of your defensive habits that you just spent the past, what, April to September? Well, how long is that? Eight months, whatever. I'm not good at math, but anyway. <laughs> like, you spend all that time pounding these habits in your head every day, and then all of a sudden, the most important time of the year, you're supposed to switch it like that. And so I think for the most part, this relaxed defense where Brooke Lopez drops way low on ball screens. Like I think for the most part, that's what we're going to see. Um, the changes that we have seen so far this year, initially the, the defenders, the on-ball defenders on pick and rolls would go over the screens and they get caught up sometimes. Recently, I've been seeing the defenders go under the screens a lot more. I saw that against the Jazz last night specifically. I think that's a game-to-game -game adjustment. I doubt you'll see that against the Rockets and James Harden and Austin Rivers, who's actually making a few outside shots. So Budenholzer is making those adjustments more game to game now. And I think that he has a long-term goal in place, but we'll see how this evolves. You know, like you said, we're, it's what game 39 or they finish 39 mm -hmm. games like that or something. So we'll see how this evolves. Budenholzer has a long-term plan in place, but I'm just not sure that means drastically altering everything he's done for the past six months once it comes to playoffs. Wow. That was awesome, by the way. That was great. Uh, 
just a breakdown of everything. I was just honestly sitting there listening to you the entire time, kind of just invested in what you were saying. So I appreciate the uh, insight there. I don't really have much to add to that, which is why I asked you the question. And honestly, was really wanted to bring you on to get really some of your thoughts on that. So I appreciate that. And it's something that as a casual observer and honestly an NBA fan, I've been wondering because I think a lot of people are seeing teams exploit the same things on defense, whether it's three points or you'll just see a, a team do the same thing the entire game, and we don't necessarily see the adjustments made in-game, um, which I was going to ask you about, but you were just even kind of brought in there from a game-to-game -game, uh, perspective. But have you seen a lot of in-game adjustments, or has he kind of just been sticking with it and like you're going to live or die by that, that game? He makes in-game adjustments for sure. There's no coach, even Jason Kidd made in-game adjustments. <laughs> right. No, there's no coach in the NBA that doesn't. Are they noticeable? That's the question. Okay. Like, are they big things that fans can just pick out or even, yeah, like fans could just pick out and say, yep, I can see that's different. So, yes, he makes in-game adjustments. They may not be drastic. They may not be noticeable like anybody besides scouts or people who are experts in the game. But, yeah, he makes in-game adjustments. They might just be really small, like tinkering with different placements of players. But you see, like I've seen – just the way that they've helped off of ball screens change from the beginning of the season to now, or depending on the matchups, you know, NBA is such a NBA matchup driven league or NBA is such a matchup driven league that depending on the personnel is how you're going to change your, or how you're going to play your defense. So yeah, he makes, he makes those, those changes. It just depends on how drastic they're going to be from game to game or even from quarter to quarter or whatnot. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for drive, diving into that a little bit and, and kind of giving that uh, that knowledge at the minimum to me. Um, so I hope listeners out there, you take some out of that. Apologize if you're just all basketball geniuses, but I don't know why they would be listening to me talk, so that's just me. Um, so and, and they must be doing something right. You know, they've only lost 11 games. Yeah. And so I know fans are frustrated, like, oh, they keep giving up all these threes, but they've only been outscored 11 times this year. And so I think that's something is like, Fans are already, they want the best, which is great, but it's also like, hey, for the most part, you know, two-thirds of the time, the defensive system has worked, and that's what you need in the playoffs. Like, if you do that, you're going to be winning every series four games to two. That's a good point. Um, I want to get, we're getting close to the end of this podcast here, so a couple quick topics I want to run by you. Rockets game tomorrow. Are we winning? Are we losing? How do you think that game's going to go? Do you think Harden is just going to harden all over us? Or do you think Giannis and the team are able to stop them? I think it'll be, you know, it's on national TV, right? It's on ESPN. Yep. Milwaukee, I'm just looking, is actually favored in that game mm -hmm. by one and a half, at least according to my amateur ESPN app, which doesn't always get the spread right. But I think it'll be tough. Houston does not have nearly the depth that they had last year. And the Bucks do have that depth now, and the Bucks can spread them out. Do they have somebody who can guard James Harden or James Harden? No, because nobody really does. But they have enough quality options where they can at least make him work for his points. And so I think that the Bucks will squeak it out and will, you know, put up a statement when they they tend to, especially this Bucks team tends to put these games like. They get hyped. They get hyped for these games, right? They're ready for them. They know that they all attention is on them. They like this, so I think that they'll come out with an extra pep in their step and take home the victory. Yeah, I think I look at every game now like we're going to win it, which is something I'm not used to when you look at this Bucks team. So I'm not looking at this. They're going into a loss. 
I think, you know, I'm looking at it as like as long as no one else goes off, we're winning that game. Harden's going to harden. He's going to get his 30 points. But, like, you don't want Gordon going off for 28. You don't want a guy on their team who get hot um, all of a sudden because maybe you're just so zeroed in on James Harden that you let somebody else have a day. And that's usually, I feel like, when we do lose, that's kind of why. Um, look at Emmanuel Moutier on the Knicks. Um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so that's what I think going into tomorrow's game. It, I think we're winning. I think we're going to get that hammer the Milwaukee every single night um, on the betting because you're obviously going to win more than you're going to lose because we're going to win over 500. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about uh, as we round out this podcast is your confidence in this Bucks, t- Bucks team to make a deep run in the playoffs. Obviously, still fairly early in the season. We're not even halfway through. We're not even to the all-star break yet. But from what you've seen, what you've analyzed, how high is your confidence level? We can just even do it easy, 1 to 10, um, for this team to make a deep run. Now, I'm not saying finals, maybe not even Eastern Conference, but at least get through that first round and then have a potential to get to that Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, I think that I would put myself at like an 8 or a 9. Like, I think that they will win the first round for sure, 100%. Second round will be matchup based, right? We'll see how this plays out. It's way too early, but there are five really great teams in the East, and so we'll see which of those teams they get matched up with in the second round. I think they do not have a reason to be scared of anybody. Like they don't have a reason to wonder or like hope, like oh, I hope this team gets our second round matchup or whatnot. I think they definitely would fare better against certain teams, but they have the talent and the system, everything in place, barring injury, that they can take down any of the top five teams um, in the East. And so I, I would say that this, the second round is a lock. And then I would give it like a 70, 75% chance that they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals um, if they make it to that second round. So I, I think that there's a pretty good chance they they have everything that they need in place. I don't think they're going to make any drastic moves. They might add some small pieces here or there. But, yeah, I think that – the I have a high confidence level, like seven, seven and a half, that they'll make a deep playoff run. Okay, I like that. Um, so it depends on what podcast I'm on. I just recorded the podcast for the BreakdownSports.com. I picked Bucks in the finals and the win in the finals. Um, but when I get into in-depth analysis like this, and I really start to think about things, it scares me because I'm not used to having this confidence in my Bucks team. So I'm kind of waiting for somebody to pull the floor up from underneath me here to fall off uh this high horse I'm sitting on, but I agree. I, I agree with you. I want to say it's lower just based on Bucks history. Um, but I, I there's they haven't shown me anything that they've done consistently that's made them weak or has been like a huge hole in their system, right? So I think like even games where they lose, there's either still something they're doing well, and honestly they just get outplayed, or somebody just does better. Like those aren't something that you can do consistently over a course of seven games, and I think that's why. Uh, I have this confidence heading into the playoffs, um, obviously considering barring injury as you brought up and everything else. Uh, so I think this was an awesome podcast. 45 minutes just flew by, um, and it's been great talking to you. Are there any last things you want to bring up as we end this, as we round out this podcast here? No, I think just enjoy this season. Like this might, you know, this is a great Bucks team, and so don't take it for granted that these types of seasons are hard to replicate, right? And so just take it game by game enjoy it follow me on twitter at bucks film room subscribe to my youtube channel bucks film room and 
you know, you can find my stuff on Groove Hoop as well. But yeah, just enjoy it and, you know, have a good time. Try to be positive. I know that, like you said, the history that makes it hard to trust this Bucks team. But at the same time, this is a Bucks team that we've never seen before, um, at least in most of our lifetimes. So let's just sit back and relax and take it game by game. I like the shameless plug within the middle of that. <laughs> it was good. I, I, like I don't even know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it was like, what? <laughs> no, it was good. Uh, yeah, same, I guess, plug-wise. Uh, podcast is at Bucks underscore ready on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jakubitz on Twitter. Uh, it's J-A-K-U-B-I-C-Z. I should probably change that so I don't have to spell it um, anymore. But follow me for random tweets about dumb things and potentially some good takes every once in a while. Uh, but I appreciate you listening, and I do hope you enjoy this Bucks season. I hope I get to see some of you at a Bucks game, grab a beer. Um, and other than that, thanks again for listening. Go Bucks! Uh, let's kick some ass in Houston tomorrow. Cheers. <laughs>